Hello and welcome to On the Flip Side, a podcast where we synthesize and break down concepts from pretty important books of our time. I'm here with Lindsay Hooper. Hello. (laughs) And I'm Amanda Nystrom, and today we are working through chapter seven of the awesome book, Burnout. And I am introing us today because this chapter is about something that is near and dear to my heart, and that is the topic of rest. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> near and dear to everyone's heart. It's taken me a long time to realize that rest is incredibly productive. And for most of my life, it has been something that is only spoken about in the Bible on the seventh day of the week and something I ignored with a passion. Mm, And now- Definitely ignoring. (laughs) And now we are here being reminded by some pretty impactful words and science of how important it is to integrate into our daily life. There's a French proverb, when you are broken, go to bed. I feel like every chapter is my favorite chapter, but this really is your one favorite chapter. And I I think it makes a lot of sense that we start there because that might be the best piece of advice in this whole book. When you are broken, go to bed, take your, take your space. Um, Super important. I love it. It is. And, you know, I, I said that rest is productive and that sounded so counterintuitive to me for such a long time. And even this idea of when you're broken, go to bed. Well, my automatic pilot says when you're broken, go to a doctor, get it fixed, take a pill, keep going. And it has, hasn't been until really within the last year that I realized how important it is. And to get us started into this, I'm going to give the definition that's in the book, which is rest is quite simply when you stop using a part of you that's used up, worn out, damaged or inflamed so that it has a chance to renew itself. That makes it sound so simple. (laughs) That it does. But we have such complicated relationships with it. (laughs) We absolutely do. Um, It is, I mean, we're going to get into a little bit of this, pull it apart and massage it and remember how important it is, but also I mean, rest in reality, it makes us present and productive. It makes us happier, healthier, less grumpy, and more creative. And of course I say that, and you know, in the back of my head, I hear this evil voice or not even evil, but just like this automatic trained uh, voice that says, yeah, of course it does. But when do you have time for that? and we are conditioned to just keep going, especially as women, especially as entrepreneurs. It's, it's something that's almost ethereal. <laughs> and as women and entrepreneurs, I think it goes back to, and I think we talked about this in another episode, 
it goes back to putting your oxygen mask on first because you can't help anyone else if you can't help yourself. Um, so really rest is fundamental to us supporting the issues that matter the most. So like no rest, you might not be as, mm, see, that's a trick. I was going to say as productive, but it's uh -huh. true. It's true. In order to be productive, you must first rest. And I go into that too, that, that productivity mindset of, I don't want to rest. I just want to do the things. I want to check off boxes, mm. but I guess, and not, but the reality is, is that rest is a first step to listening and believing your body. And why have we gotten to the point in society where we have ingrained being a human giver and constantly going and not taking time for rest, for rejuvenation and recharge. Yeah, because you really get into diminishing returns when you continually push. Poet, activist, all around fabulous woman, Audre Lorde said, caring for myself is not a self-indulgence, it's self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. So thrilled that by resting, by listening to your body and taking a nap or reading a book or doing whatever it is you need to do to rest, you're smashing the patriarchy. Two birds, <laughs> one stone. The thing about sleep though, um, and I love how they worded this, sleep specifically is strange and necessary. It is that part of the day where your brain gets to do all the recharging it needs to do. And while it's doing that, uh, you experience, or many people experience, intense multi-sensory hallucinations, which you could also call dreams, but I'm gonna call them intense multi-sensory hallucinations from now on. Yep. But like, how crazy is it that we, I mean, we spend a not, or we should spend a not insignificant portion of our lives, basically unconscious and defenseless. But without that, we're not useful when we're awake either. They talk in the book about how physical activity isn't complete without sleep. Sleep heals the damage inflicted by being alive during the day. So I also think uh, in this chapter, I was thinking a lot about your spoons, Amanda, because that's where, like, in some ways, you know, when you're a spoonie, and I hope I don't butcher this, when you're a spoonie, you only have so many spoons to use each day, each task takes a spoon, and when you're out of spoons, you're out of spoons, there's no more, there's no forks, don't try to eat with a knife. Um, and really sleep is your spoons, your dishwasher, cleaning your spoons and putting them back in the drawer for you the next day. Nothing is complete without sleep. So it consolidates memories. Um, 
it integrates new information to existing knowledge. It is the most fundamental thing to our brains. Emotions aren't complete without sleep either. I loved when they talked about how sleep actually allows you to sort of up your EQ a little bit, which I think is fascinating. And I think it points to the fact that when we're tired and we're burnt out, we're not leading with like emotional intelligence. We're just powering through. And I think we're trained to power through a lot of the time. It gets back to diminishing returns. So, you know, someone who's been awake for 19 hours or more is as impaired in their cognitive and motor function as somebody who's legally drunk. And 19 hours sounds like a long time, um, and numbers aren't really my thing, but Amanda pointed out that this is the equivalent of just a really long day, waking up at 5 a.m. and going to bed around midnight. That's it. That's all you have to do to be as impaired as if you were, you know, hitting the sauce. <laughs> Talk to me about rest, Amanda. How, how much do we need? What counts as rest? Lay it on me. Well, I'm really happy that you brought up sleep first because when anybody says rest, the first thing that comes to mind, I'm guessing for most, is sleep, right? That's that's your rest. And I've had many conversations with people who have the common response of, I'll sleep when I'm dead, mm. right? This, this constant feeling of continuing to push through, continuing to do things, even if it sacrifices their sleep, because in their minds and ours, it is, it is more beneficial to sacrifice your sleep than it is to get behind in life. And I say that with like quotes behind get behind, because we're constantly comparing what we need to everybody else who does have a different setup, who has a completely different background. And even if it's similar, right, that comparison is a lot of times when we get ourselves into the danger zone of thinking that, yeah, we can sacrifice our sleep. Um, and the reality is that sleep is a big part of rest, but there's other items too that contribute to it. And according to burnout, 42% of our time should be spent resting or sleeping. 42%. I don't, I don't even know what to say to that. I don't know what to say to that. I mean, that almost turns rest into another box to tick off for me. Like, gotta hit this amount. If I don't, I'll be behaving like a drunk person, which is actually a really good excuse. And I'm putting it in my back pocket right now. <laughs> as much as I support that and also love you for it, <laughs> um, as a reminder, it's not just sleep. So 42% constitutes stress reducing conversation physical activity to complete the stress cycle, 
food of all things and eating, cooking, that type of thing. Um, and taking time for yourself that is in a non-charged environment. Mm. And somebody was telling me last night, um, we were practicing coaching and she was like, yeah, I now have so many health issues because for many, many years I devoted my life to my career. And what that meant was I spent, uh, most of my life on an airplane, like four to six airplanes per week, 52 weeks a year. And now she deals with various thyroid issues. She's constantly battling her own health. And I mean, this is somebody who's aspiring to, you know, continue to push through, but doing so in a way that is beneficial to others. She's aspiring to be a health and well-being coach after learning the hard way that though she loved and admired her own herself for going after her career the way she did, she sacrificed her health, her sleep, her rest for mm. so many years that now she, there's, she has chronic issues that she can't get away from. And the reality is, is that we end up pushing through so much. And if we don't take the 42%, it's going to get to us. You know, a good example is when we go on vacation and we get sick mm-hmm. and, you know, we can get by with less, but it's really not sustainable for long term. And getting by is also bullshit because it's mm-hmm. another form of suffering. Well said. Um, I was actually <laughs> talking to my mom um, about this chapter and this episode and you know, I was telling her about this 42% resting and she goes, yeah, I knew every time you came home from college, your first week or two would be, you'd be useless because you'd be sick or you, you would be dead asleep or you were just on such a serious come down from exams, from finishing the school year, from moving out that it was, it was inevitable. And there's part of me that thinks, you know, I was 18, 19, 20 year old kid. So maybe it was inevitable, but if I had known, if I had read this book, then I wonder if it would have been as severe, if I had been able to sort of internalize that it wasn't inevitable that I could, you know, do all of those things and then come home and basically have another two weeks of vacation because I wasn't bedridden. That's a good question. Mm. And I know from personal experience, I probably would have just ignored it. Like I ignored most things that mattered at that age, thinking that it didn't apply to me or I'm still young, so I don't have to worry about this now. The problem with that is when your parents or parent is is blind to the need to rest too. And so Mm. you are watching somebody you love dearly, who is your life for many years at that point, continue to so-called push through, continue to work and not rest. And then you may be, you know, young and not think that it applies to you. And then, you know, you get into a situation where you have a real job 
and you're working, you know, who knows how many hours a week. It's usually more than 40 plus trying to have a social life. Plus, you know, when you get into situations where you have a partner of some form, it's, it's constant. It's, it's almost like college is the jumping off point for this idea that you are nonstop busy until you're 65. And it's not sustainable. I mean, you and I are in our thirties and we're dealing with chronic conditions that wouldn't be normal for people a hundred, 200 years ago. No, but we'd also be old maids. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe that's why (laughs) Uh, there's a shorter lifespans. And to be fair, I'm, I'm not trying to compare what we do and our constant busyness to the diligent hard work of those who came before us who really did um, put in a lot more physical effort than we do. Um, But I feel like knowing what I have read, there was a higher value placed on rest, placed on recharging in a way that was beneficial than there is now. Right now there is this this judgment of rest being lazy Mm. for lack of a better word we we look at it with this vein of if you're resting you are lazy but we are built as humans to oscillate from one task to rest to another task maybe another but then rest Um, And that's how we maintain focus and productivity. We are made to swing like the pendulum, you know, (laughs) because resting post-task eliminates the effects of the fatigue. It's why you stretch after you work out. Yeah, you do it before so you don't hurt yourself, but you don't want that lactic acid buildup. You don't want to feel the effects of that in your muscles later that day or even days later. And it's the same thing with your brain, which is just kind of another muscle. Your brain's always doing something. In fact, they say in the book that your brain is working almost as much uh, when you're waiting at like a deli counter as when you're doing your taxes because you're taking in everything around you. And it's called default mode network. And that's just your mind wandering. It's consistently assessing and then reassessing. How are you? What do you need? Are you thirsty? Do you need to pee? Do you need to stand up? Do you need to rest? Am I comfortable? Am I hot? Are there any dangers around me? You're not necessarily conscious of these things, but it is a constant check-in between your brain and the rest of your body, which makes me think that even more we need that 42% rest just because, you know, even, even when we think we're resting or doing a simple task that shouldn't take anything out of us, like standing at a deli counter, it is. It really is. And one of the statements in the book is that mental rest is not idleness. It is the time necessary for your brain to process the world. 
And it's why taking breaks and walking away from problems work, right? Mm -hmm. When we are constantly inundated with input and data that our brain is processing, even if we don't feel it right then, it affects us. And so a lot of times, especially if it's in a professional environment and you're dealing with a problem, taking moments to step away, to get away from the problem, to do that oscillation from task to rest is impactful and effective. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, for every 10 minutes you spend on a problem, you should spend 10 minutes outside, but there's, there's definitely something to be said for taking 50 minutes dedicated to some problem you are working through and making sure that at the end of that 50 minutes or whatever your threshold is, before you burn out on that task is to take at least 10 minutes where you are away from it Mm -hmm. and where you can let your brain rest. And a lot of times that's when we come across the ideas that solve our problems. (laughs) I find it so frustrating. I'll sit there and I will, I do a lot of podcast and video editing at work. And every so often we will have a recording that is just so jacked up for whatever reason, (laughs) audio's overlaid on top of each other, video isn't connecting and making sense. It's almost like at random little goblins went in and just stole bites of audio or video. So things don't actually add up. And I'll sit there for hours trying to sort through this problem and think, well, if I move this over here, then that connects this way. And basically taking the whole thing apart and putting it back together in a way that you wouldn't know that it was um, (laughs) a mess when it, when it landed in my uh, editor. And like, I, I, I sometimes even have to like whiteboard it out because I'm visual and you can only do so much on a computer. And then because I work from home, I will unload the dishwasher or I will go make the bed. And it's only as I'm doing that thing focused on, you know, whatever menial task I'm, I'm trying to accomplish that it's like, oh, here's your answer because I'm letting my brain rest. We'll get into this shortly, but it's cross training. So when you were active, like doing active rest, which is different than actively resting, um, really what you're doing is you're working one gear while resting the others. If you work out the right side of your body and not your left side, your left side's still going to have the benefits because all the muscles are connecting. I love that example. I really do because it's so easy when you injure yourself or when one part of your body is tired and i say body because it's easiest to connect with right it's it's harder to say like my hypothalamus is tired today (laughs) but when you yeah yeah um when you physically injure yourself what the doctor tends to tell you or what the internet tends WebMD tends to tell you is you need rest. And we have become so black and white with rest that rest either means sleep 
or rest equal bad. And so we go into this situation grumpy because we feel guilty because we're not being productive, which means is our rest actually restful? And then also we tend to think of rest as a, a statement where all we can do is lay there or watch TV or scroll on our phone while our body theoretically heals itself. And I love the cross training example because you're so right. I mean, just exercising one part of our body, say you have broken your right ankle, still working that left, still getting up, you know, working uh, on your balance or, um, you know, just trying to use crutches instead of a wheelchair. It mm -hmm. still continues to allow your body to build strength in a way that is restful and it allows both sides to get what it needs. Here's a question. Can we rest when we're bored? As much as I would love to go into that, this was the one statement that you got so passionate about when we were rereading this. So I'm going to hand this back to you. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the answer to my own question is no, not really. Boredom is the discomfort you feel when your brain is in active attention mode. So it wants to be productive. It wants to do something, but it can't latch on to anything to attend to. It's, and I use this expression all the time, um, idle hands are the devil's plaything. Because you have the hands, you want to use them, and it's going, your hands are going to find something. And in uh, a study they discussed in the book, I just found it insane. So basically they took a group of adults and gave them all like a mild electric shock. Didn't hurt them, but it definitely wasn't comfortable. And then they asked, would you pay $5 to never have to feel that shock again? And overwhelmingly the answer was yes. Like five bucks and I never have to deal with that? Absolutely. Well, then these researchers left their subjects who had just been shocked alone in the room with the shocking machine, right? And basically said, sit with your thoughts. We're going to leave this here. You can touch it. You cannot touch it. Sit with your thoughts. And all of these people who said, I would pay $5 to never have to feel that were bored. And you know what they did? They shocked themselves. They just said they would pay to not feel that again. But when faced with the options of sit in your thoughts and feelings or administer your own shocks, I want to say it was like a quarter of women and two thirds of men ended up playing with the machine because their brains were in research study mode. Their brains were there to do something and they didn't have anything to do. Boredom is, I've, it's always been a mystery to me. And I love knowing now that all I have to do is give my brain something to play with. When, I, when I'm feeling bored, stop what I'm doing and go do something else. It's so simple, 
and also mind-boggling for me. I'm curious how much that ties into our productivity bias, our need to do things. Like, Mm. would we be bored in a space of not having to do anything if we didn't have the conditioning to believe that resting and basically doing nothing is a waste of time. I don't know. But what I do know is that the conditioning you just talked about is basically self-destruction as a virtue. Basically it, it gets into the concept of if you're not doing something, you're lazy. Um, but if you do too much, you're going to burn yourself out. Hence the name of the book, but taking the time to rest can trigger feelings of guilt and shame and laziness and greed because to be a truly righteous giver is to be exhausted all the time. And I'm going to use your words from 15 minutes ago. (laughs) This is bullshit. Um, and while I'm at it, powering through, is society gaslighting us into not resting? It's gaslighting. I intentionally pause there because it is hard to hear, Mm. hard to internalize, hard to realize that we are not accepted as people who rest. There is bias, there is judgment and it's, it's not just been, you know, recent developments that have led us to this, this mindset. In the book, it says that medieval theologians believed that humans' need for sleep was a divine punishment for the fall of man and a daily reminder to mankind of their sinfulness, weakness, and imperfections. And when Lindsay and I were prepping for this, I said, well, yeah, it kind of was because you know, of the the fall in the Garden of Eden, right? And how life became harder. But it never said that we had to work until we were completely burnt out and couldn't even be present for ourselves. It was simply a you know, life is just not going to be as easy as it was originally designed to be. And I think a lot about the ego of it all. Even God in the Bible made a whole day for rest because God needed rest that day consistently once a week. And who are we in that context to to believe that we don't need the same rest as theoretically a creator of the universe? While we no longer believe that sleep is a punishment for the fall, the the way this frame has evolved is that if a person has time to sleep, then they're doing something wrong. Like they're not working hard enough because sleep is selfish. When you're sleeping, you're only helping yourself. Ugh. <laughs> and that's and that's yeah. just not true. I mean, 
I think about how, you know, the industrialized West thinks of rest and self-care and it's all through the lens of commodity, right? Like do a face mask, buy this product, take care of yourself. That's, that's doing more things. That's not, that's not actual rest. The only thing you need to do to actually rest is listen to your body and stop when it says stop. It's not selfish. It's vital. It is vital. One of the things the book says is that sleep is an invisible workplace for women. As human givers, women are expected to sacrifice their sleep for the benefit of others. I just, I get so frustrated when I read that. And also I relate and I feel it. Biologically, you know, when a woman has a child, it is the woman that automatically wakes up in the middle of the night to check on the child. There's almost a, a connection there, and I'm sure some would argue that there is a connection there that would never be felt with somebody who didn't physically have that child. On the flip side, though, I also know that it is human nature to be protective and be almost mother-like when you have someone in your home or when you don't feel safe or when you are dealing with any number of things, any number of things that just mean uncertainty. You know, I raised two stepdaughters and my sleep is still disrupted and I'm not going to blame them for that. It's my natural how everything set up. I felt that that was something that I needed to do. Like their well-being was so much more important than mine. And while I, you know, in a lot of ways, I wish I could go back to those moments and give myself some grace. It's, it's part of how things are set up in society. And in a lot of ways, it needs to be fixed. And it needs to not just be the women or the mothers that take on that belief that they have to sacrifice their sleep for the benefit of others. Because in reality, we are already <laughs> sacrificing a lot. We are already giving constantly. And we're going to end up burnt out. We're going to end up in a situation where even if we don't have the career of our dreams, like my friend was talking about last night, we're going to end up with chronic conditions. And the, the judgment that we throw around, around the idea of rest, you know, it makes us less effective, less happy less able to accept our own body's needs because we're so worried about everybody else judging us. Back to the first line of the book. This is a book for any woman who's ever felt overwhelmed and exhausted by everything she has to do and yet still worried she's not doing quote unquote enough, which is every woman we know, including us. So without extenuating circumstances, without, you know, it being a particularly stressful time or you chasing the high powered career of your dreams, 
just existing without rest can cause burnout. So what's a girl to do? <laughs> Turn to Grace. Mm. They do little vignettes in the book, um, which I really enjoy. And in one of them, they say she works a lot of hours, but when her body and her brain tell her they're done for the day, she listens. And I think from this chapter, the thing that I took the most is being a little more aware of the things my body's trying to tell me when my eyes are bugging out of my head because I've been trying to reconstruct a recording that that's a mess. My eyes end up like falling out of my head some days. They don't have to. All I have to do when I start to feel that feeling, stop, go get rest, go do something else, context shift, move, give my brain something else to play with for a minute. Because the reality is it's on me to make time for rest. It's on me to create boundaries um, and particularly boundaries around sleep, food, friends, and movement. Those are all ways that we can rest and we just have to prioritize that. Always harder said than done. Easier said than done. Harder to do yeah, than to spend. That's <laughs> why we need each other in order to have like two halves of a whole for a podcast. Yeah, I actually think of two holes that just make something bigger. That's a much better way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to actually answer your question, we have to reassess the systems that conflict with our rest. And we have to start looking at what recharges us and what depletes us. One thing that I learned in the last year is that even scrolling on Instagram or doing research, even if your body is in a horizontal state, <laughs> you are still depleting energy by looking at whatever you are looking at. Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it doesn't add to us, you know, the, the, statement that you made earlier about it being a commodity to do self-care right the mm -hmm. the masks and the baths and the retreats and all of that mm. as great as those can be what's more important is that we figure out what genuinely recharges us mm. what genuinely brings us a sense of peace even when the world is just going chaotically away from the way that we would like it to go mm -hmm. and for every person that tends to be different but i do know that typically the items that we are told are self-care are mostly a consumer bias around how do we give money to other things and how do we like you said do more what would happen if we were to take some time just to sit with ourselves 
sit in that room with the with the zapper and and not zap explore our thoughts yeah not zap ourselves but mostly you know go through our thoughts figure out what we're actually feeling stop ignoring the feelings and mm-hmm. you know it may not be pleasant but it's going to come up at some point whether you're alone in a room or whether you're in a business meeting and somebody pisses you off and you're at a tipping point I mean, I think what we're really talking about here is living holistically, taking our foot off of any given pedal and taking a step back and looking for some balance. So whether you're on four to five planes a week or you are the only parent who wakes up at night with the kid, take a step back sit with your thoughts because the solution is in there. You might just need to oscillate to rest or a different task to be able to figure it out. One of my favorite authors, John Kabat-Zinn, and I'm sure I'm butchering his last name, but he's big into mindfulness. And one of the things I've been reading about and experiencing or trying to experience is the idea of flow moments Mm. and flow moments are when you are doing something, usually some form of creative, but creative has a lot of definitions. It can be creative. Technically. I talked to somebody yesterday who designed an app to be able to monitor his freezer temperature from wherever he was as long as he had an internet connection. And that brought him joy. And he learned something new. And it was one of his flow moments to painting or taking care of flowers or plants. You know, there's there's a lot of different definitions of what flow means. And I'm sure for you and I, it's very different. It's one of the reasons we call it on the flip side. (laughs) Well, yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, you could get into a flow for anything, right? Like it's almost like a meditative state over the task at hand, right? You just get into it. According to Zen, it's mostly those moments that we are safe in um, and that bring us that feeling of recharge instead of depletion. Mm, So if you're a person who doesn't enjoy the dishes at all because of maybe a past experience in it to you, it's just a chore. You're probably Mm. not going to find flow moments. However, you're right in that if we allow our brains to settle, to let go and to let be, then yes, we can find those moments in most of our days, even if we're stuck in traffic or we are having a heated conversation with our moms on the phone. I don't know if I could flow in that moment, but I guess the point is that my flow and your flow states are probably different. Mm -hmm. So to put a bow on this, I go back to this, this goal, or I go back to this vignette Um, She works a lot of hours, but when her body and brain tell her they're done for the day, she listens. So as we, as we wrap this up, I think it's important 
to take a moment, just a moment, to consider what rest means to you. I think it's important to think through how we can enable rest, how we can productively rest so that we can productively execute on the rest of our days because without rest, we're not gonna have the same impact. So rest. And with that, this has been On the Flip Side with Lindsay and Amanda. Next week is our final episode of Burnout, which is nuts because I feel like we just started this. And also somehow like we've been at it for like 10 years. And the last chapter of the book is called Grow Mighty. We'll see you back here next week. Bye, everybody.